This is North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we have part 16 of our series, Letters from Prison, where we're looking into the book of Philippians. Today's message is entitled, Beware of Dogs. We'll be talking about legalism, the subtle tendency to add to the gospel of Jesus Christ by throwing in our own works. Covering a lot of theology today and good stuff, but uh, I think you're going to find this message quite helpful. Well, without further ado, let's go ahead and head over to the talk. North Shore Vineyard, downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. Thanks for checking us out on the web at northshorevineyard.org. I'm excited. Today is, is, a, is a really cool passage from uh, Philippians. And I'm excited to say that we're all already up to chapter 3. Chapter 3. It's only taken us five months going verse by verse when we, we've arrived at... Get, let's give a hand here. Yes. Even if you are an incredibly slow reader, you can keep up with North Shore Vineyard's approach to this. But um, this is a really good scripture, and, and I found, I mean, really, we could spend weeks just unpacking stuff. So we've got a lot of stuff to cover, a lot of scripture, a lot of theology. This is, there's a lot more kind of theology, and I know that word may seem scary to you, theology. You don't use that at your water cooler much, probably, if you're at work. But uh, theology is simply our thoughts on God, and you can have a well-informed theology, or you can just kind of have a theology that is just, you know, a hodgepodge of things. And so hopefully we'll walk out with a, a little bit better theology today, I hope, if, if we do this right. So Philippians 3, 1 through 6, the Apostle Paul writing to the Philippian church from a Roman prison writes this, further, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Lord, this morning we just ask for you to open up our eyes. God, reveal any places in our life that that have resisted the good news of Jesus Christ. And, And Lord, I just pray... By your spirit, you would bring freedom this morning. In Jesus' name. Some of you, most of you probably know, a few months ago I got to take a trip to Israel. Probably good I took the trip when I did. It doesn't seem like a great place to go at this moment in time. But I noticed something curious when I was there, particularly around Jerusalem. There were a lot of cats. So I want to show you some pictures. These are some pictures I haven't really, I haven't done too many slideshows yet. But this was the first cat I met. He's hanging out. Yeah, it's a big cat. It's probably the angle, too. You know, the cat's probably not as big. I was <laughs> that cat's hat to the side. And, and then this one's a little, yeah, yeah, okay. This one's a little scary here. Uh, 
These were outside the wall of Jerusalem. And then, uh, yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. Then we got this one. He's not dead. He's just uh, playing dead uh, in front of this car, uh, hanging out, sleeping. And then let's see what else we got. Oh, and then every once in a while you get a very photogenic cat. So this is, this is the... Uh, so I got to thinking, with all these pictures of cats, after a couple of days of taking pictures of cats, you know, it started out as a joke, but then I was like, you know, I think I'm going to do a 2012... Street Cats of Jerusalem calendar. <laughs> Any takers? It's, it's going to be available in uh, November, just in time for the Christmas season. So if you want to purchase that, I'm hoping it's my ticket out of here. I mean, I, no, okay. <laughs> you, I know James, <laughs> James will. Street Cats of Jerusalem. Well, uh, after I saw all these cats, I finally asked my tour guide. I said, you know, this is kind of strange. Why are there so many cats in Jerusalem, but I haven't seen a dog anywhere. I haven't seen anybody walking a, 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 a pet dog or anything. And uh, he said, well, he said, you got to understand this part of the world, dogs are not considered man's best friend. He said, actually, in this part of the world, dogs are considered scavengers. They, if you want to insult somebody, you call them a dog. It's not like Randy Jackson on American Idol, you know, like, what's up, dog? You in the dog pound. If you do that in certain places over there, it's like those are fighting words. That's like talking about your mom or something, you know? And he said, he said, all the way going, and, and you can see this. Even in the Old Testament, David goes out to fight Goliath. And what does Goliath call David? He's like, who is this dog? We find Paul using this word dog. And it's, it's a very harsh word. In fact, these words that we're looking at today are really the harsh, some of the harshest words you're ever going to see Paul write. And he writes them about a group of believers, well, a, a group of people that have been sneaking into his churches. He's been dealing with this group of people for about 10 years at this time. Paul goes and plants a church in Ephesus, and then he plants a church in Galatia, and he plants a church in, in, in Philippi. But it doesn't take long for this group of people to show up who uh, have, have been in Judaism, and they come up and they try to get these new Christians who are... Most of the ones from Paul's churches are all Gentiles. They didn't grow up knowing much about Judaism. They grew up pagans. And they, they come along and they say, Hey, it's, we hear you're into this Jesus, a great rabbi, a great teacher. Uh, it's, it's so, that's so great that, that y'all are following him now. But if you really want to be right with God, then you'll get circumcised. If you really want to be right with God, then you'll start following the Old Testament law. And then God will really be pleased with you. And Paul, Paul gets really serious when it comes to this stuff. Now, I'm going to rewind just a second. If you go back to Philippians 1, 7, 17 and 18, you'll see that the Apostle Paul, we talked about this a few months ago, there's a group of people in the prison that are preaching Jesus out of selfish ambition, out of false motives. As Paul says, they're trying to add more affliction to his bad situation. He's alone in prison, and then you got people that are preaching Jesus, mocking him or from bad motives. But what does Paul say in that, in that instance? He says, eh, he's so gracious and humble. He's like, hey, whatever. At least people are talking about Jesus. So Paul has already dealt with one group of people that are not quite going about Christianity like he is. But when it comes to this group, Paul doesn't see just false motives. He doesn't see just a small difference in doctrine he actually sees this group as believing in a different gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus plus. 
Jesus plus my own effort, Jesus plus my works of the flesh. And so Paul takes this term, you know, the the term dog, actually Jews would, would refer sometimes to the Gentiles as dogs or the Samaritans as dogs. It was a derogatory comment. And Paul's, Paul is basically flipping all these things around that they would have used. He says, you know, there's going to be people coming into your ranks, sneaking in, trying to, to, to get you to uh, all tied up in legalism. He says, they're going to actually call you a dog if you don't get circumcised. But let me tell you something. They're the real dogs. Beware of them. He says they come in uh, acting like they're doing the business of God, but he said they're actually evildoers. He said they come in trying to circumcise you, but he said all they're going to do is mutilate your flesh. Pretty harsh words, huh? Paul says, look, if you want to play the game of works-based righteousness, you want to play that? Let me pull out my resume. Here's my resume. He's like, and you're not, I'm not, I'm not going to find anybody who can compete with this resume. He says, some think they have reason to put confidence in the flesh. I got more reason. I was born in the right family. I was born of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day, like the Levitical law said. So if you want to talk about being, I, I wasn't a Jewish convert from the outside. I was, I was in it by blood, by family, by ethnicity. And he goes on to say, in regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. What were the Pharisees? They were a religious order. It'd be kind of like signing up to be a monk these days or something. They were a religious order. The Pharisees were so serious about keeping the law that they weren't content with the few hundred laws that God gave them. They added a few hundred more. And they, they, they came up with all kinds of regulations. They had their, their, the way they dressed, the way they talked. They, they always hung out. And so Paul was like, man, I was so serious about following the law. I wasn't content to just work a regular job and stuff. I, I actually joined a religious order. But he said, not only that, for zeal... I persecuted the church. There was plenty of Pharisees that, that never persecuted the church. They were content to get together and talk about you know, the Bible, have Bible studies and stuff. But they weren't like the type to go out there and do crazy things like hunt Christians down. And Paul says, man, I was so serious about my faith, I hunted down anybody who didn't believe like I did. I, I tore families apart. He says, if you want to pull out a resume based on works of righteousness, he said, I'm faultless. I'd been there, done that. It's interesting that when Paul actually encounters Jesus, where does he encounter him? On his way to persecute Christians. I don't think that was any accident. Because this is fundamental to, to the gospel that Paul preaches. Paul was actually on his way to persecute Christians. He bumps into Jesus, and what does Jesus say? Jesus says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? In other words, Paul, you think you're doing the right thing right now. You think you're actually helping God out. But let me let you in on news. Newsflash. You're actually fighting God. Not a good thing to do, Paul. Not a winning battle. And so Paul has become apprehended by grace. And it has completely ruined him. He cannot go back to that works-based righteousness ever again. He's like, I've lived... I've, I've taken that road as far as it can go, and I tell you, it's nothing. Actually, we're going to read in the next verses next week that he compares it to, it's rubbish. It's, yeah, actually, the word we're going to look at next week, it's actually like dung. It's number two, 
compared with Jesus. <laughs> it's a stinking pile of number two compared. Everything he's done on his resume, it's nothing compared to knowing Jesus. You know, when I look back on Paul, I, I think, I mean, the guy's in jail. And Bible scholars believe he was in this, this prison in Rome for about two years. Uh, I don't know how long he'd been there at this time that he wrote Philippians, but, I mean, dude, you're, you're locked up in prison because you've been preaching Jesus. You've got all these churches you've planted of, around the Mediterranean world who are beginning to face the persecution of Nero and the Roman government and paganism. And yet, Paul doesn't even mention that as a threat. I mean, don't you think we kind of do that these days? We're so, we're so accustomed as a church right now of like any time we don't have the right to hang up the Ten Commandments or to pray at a football game, we're like, eh, we're going to boycott people. We're gonna... And Paul's like, he never picks a fight with Rome. He doesn't see Rome as a threat at all. He doesn't see paganism as a threat. He sees the biggest threat to Christianity is not from the government. It's not even from other religions. It's from people who try to bring in a different gospel and make it all about you and your efforts and the best that you can do. And so Paul writes very strongly about this. Beware of dogs. And honestly, Philippians, he's actually, he's actually a, little, a little more subdued than he is in other books. He, he really gets going in, in, in Galatians and some other places. But he addresses this issue over and over. So this morning, I want us to kind of, we're going to cover the whole Bible, basically. Uh, just a, a brief snapshot of it, at least in the next 10 minutes. But I want us to look at the Old Covenant, circumcision, what that actually was about, why that was such a big deal. And then, what the heck, this issue that Paul was covering back then, does it have any bearing on us now? Is it just a, something to look at, or, or is it applicable to our current situation? So... To understand circumcision, we need to go all the way back to Genesis uh, chapter 12. This is the beginning of the Old Covenant. God has seen that the world corrupted by sin and death under the curse of sin, it's, it's, it's just a mess. And so God devises a rescue plan. And I love, you know, God is... God is relational before he ever makes a creation. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're in relationship before any of this was ever created. God is relational at his core. So God's rescue plan is relational. And so God starts his rescue plan by approaching this guy, Abram. He's going to change his name from Abram to Abraham. Uh, Abram actually meant exalted father. Abraham meant a father of many. But in Genesis 12, we see when God first encounters Abraham. He says this, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Abraham, God is, is, is basically telling Abraham, he's like, I've got a plan to save the whole world. 
And it's going to start with you. And and Abraham, I love you. You're a cool guy. I want to bless you. But understand, these blessings are not just about you, Abraham. What I'm going to do in you, it's going to go global. It's going to go worldwide. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. So that's how Abraham, God kicks this thing off with Abraham. But a few chapters later, God actually uh, makes a covenant with him. Now, you know, it's, it's a different thing to go from uh, engaged to actually being married and, and going through the marriage covenant. And that's, you know, that's kind of what God's doing. And, you know, I got married, I think it's, I, I hope I got this date right. Dina's not here, so I'm okay. But uh, I think it was 13 years ago, this August, uh, Dina and I got married. And what was the sign of our covenant? This thing, right? What does this ring symbolize? It symbolized that we covenanted before God and man, all our friends and family, that I'm going to love you and cherish you, honor you in sickness and health till death do us part, right? And this ring, I've been wearing this so long that, that my fingers actually deformed a little here, right? Yeah, you know, probably got that. And, and the skin is all soft because it hasn't seen daylight in 13 years. And, and uh, if I take this ring off, I feel weird. It's a sign of the covenant. And it, it tells other women that I'm taken. I belong to Dina, right? That's a symbol of the covenant. Well, God wants Abraham to carry a symbol of the covenant, Now, when God tells Abraham this, keep in mind, Abraham's 99 years old, okay? So he's an old dude. Genesis 17, verse 11. God says to Abraham, You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you for generations to come. Every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised. So that's the mark of the covenant. And I I can imagine God telling Abraham, 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 this, I want you to be circumcised. He's like, great, what's that? <laughs> well, <laughs> this may hurt a little. <laughs> God was marking the males of that people. He was carving out a people. And his promise to Abraham had to do with kind of his line that would come from him, the seed. So God marks Abraham at the point of procreation, at the point of reproduction. And he says, every, every male after you that comes in your line is going to be marked right here. It's going to be circumcised. And there was nobody out there. I mean, this was a new thing, right? Uh, it was going to make them a different people than the people around him. So Abraham gets circumcised. He has a son named Isaac who gets circumcised. Isaac has a son named Jacob and Esau, and they get circumcised. And then there's... Jacob turns into Israel. He gets his name changed, and then he has 12 sons, and they become the 12 tribes of Israel. They multiply. They actually turn into the Hebrew people. They go in captivity into Egypt, and you know that story. And 400 years of captivity, God raises up Moses. Moses delivers the people, takes them out into the wilderness, and then Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, and God gives him the Old Testament law. God makes a covenant now, expands on the covenant with Abraham, and, and, and actually gives the Mosaic Covenant. And so we can, you can find that in the book of Leviticus and, and Exodus. And, and God, again, is putting more boundary markers around this people. Now understand, a lot of people kind of misinterpret what God was doing with the people of Israel. It was not just to make Israel a special group of people like, Israel, I just love you. It was always with the mission to save the world. I will bless you so that you will... Be a blessing. 
And so all these boundary markers that God, God institutes, the, the priesthood, the uh, offering system, sacrificial system, all these dietary laws, all those things that, that, that set them apart as a people. You know, when I went to Jerusalem, uh, even flying on the plane over from, from New York, you see a bunch of Orthodox and Hasidic Jews, and they're really easy to spot in a crowd. You know, you're not going to mistake them for other people because they've got markers. They they have certain things that they do that set them apart from us regular Western American Christian people, right? You know, I mean, they're they're very easily to spot out. And so God was doing all this to to set them apart that they would be a nation of priests and kings, that they would shepherd the other nations into God's kingdom, that the, that the other nations would see the special thing between them and God, and they would want that. But unfortunately, Israel was made up of people like you and me who were sinful, who missed the point. Sometimes they got hung up on the rules and they missed the spirit of the law. They, they, they were following all the rules, but they missed the, the heart of what God was trying to do. Other times, they just ignored all the laws altogether and got into idolatry and paganism, and, 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 it, and it was a mess. And so... God sends Jesus. Actually, what we're going to find out in just a minute is that what God had actually shared with Abraham all the way in the beginning before circumcision and before the law and all that stuff, God was actually telling him the gospel of Jesus. Jesus comes along, Matthew five seventeen. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to f- fulfill them. Jesus comes, God comes from heaven, takes the form of, of, of a human, and as a representative of humanity, he takes the curse of the law, the curse of sin, he takes it all upon himself. He becomes the fulfillment. Where Israel had failed to live up to their thing, Jesus steps in and takes the penalty for that, and the penalty for our sins, but also he enacts a new covenant. Hebrews 5, actually Hebrews 4 and 5 uh, talks about Jesus being our great high priest. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Jesus has, the old covenant had a priest, it had a temple, it had all these things to go through. But the new covenant, who's our priest? It's Jesus. Right. Y'all are listening. I'm so happy. We don't need any other mediator. You don't need a pastor. You don't need some other human priest. You don't need some go-between. Jesus is your go-between, between you and the Heavenly Father. He's our priest. He's the one that, that leads us in intercession. See, in a Christian sense, when we pray, we are entering into the prayers of Jesus. A lot of us misunderstand it, but Jesus, Hebrews talks about him ever living to make intercession before the Father for us. So we are entering into the work of Christ. We're, we're stepping into the new covenant. So circumcision is done away with. The Old Testament law is done away with. Our circumcision now, as Paul says, it's, it's our hearts. I want to read a passage, and I didn't put it up there on the screen, so you're just going to have to listen really good, okay? Galatians 3, verse 6. Paul is looking back on the Abrahamic blessings and all that, and he's, he's tying it into uh, Christian theology. He says, so, so also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then, those who have faith are children of Abraham. 
What did Abraham do? God comes up to him and says, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. Follow me. Leave your, leave your father's house. Leave your country and, and just follow me. And what did Abraham do? He believed. All right. Great. He didn't argue with God. He didn't try to say, oh, you know, I'm, I just I, I got all this stuff. I, I pretty settled down here. Abraham just said, really? Wow. I'm in. And so Paul is saying that in the same way, that's our response to Jesus. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So God actually preaches the gospel first to Abraham all the way back then, before circumcision, before the law, before anything. It was simply a heart's response of, I believe in you. And Paul is saying, that's the key right now. It's not circumcision. It's not the works of the law. It's simple faith in Jesus and what he's done. He goes on to say, for cursed, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a cursed, as it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. If you don't obey all the law, you're guilty. (laughs) And there's a lot of law to obey. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does not, the person who does these things will live by them. But Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He goes on in verse 26 to say, So in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So that's a lot of scripture. What is Paul saying? He's saying we enter into the promises of Abraham based on what Jesus has done. Jesus took the curse of the law, and now by what Jesus has done and who he is, God has actually expanded the promises that all nations of the world will be blessed through him. He's done that how? Through Jesus. See, the problem is when we get into a legalistic form of Christianity, we miss we, we fall back on our own efforts. Have you ever tried to live a Christianity based on your own efforts before? Yeah, it's bad. So the question today is, is what Paul was saying, is, is it relevant today? I mean, I, I haven't heard of anybody since I planted this church a year and a half ago. I haven't heard of anybody sneaking in here and saying, hey, James, uh, look, we're having a circumcision gathering over at our house. You know, if you know anybody who's not in the club, uh, bring them over. I, I haven't heard any rumors of that. Anybody that's going on, you, you tell me. <laughs> it's, it's awfully hard to get people to show up to your house for that, right? <laughs> you try it on. <laughs> so, so does this have any bearing? Is, is what Paul was facing here, is this, was this just an early church issue? Is it just something that they were facing back then? Or, or does it actually have application on us in our current situation? Well, I think it has a lot of application currently. Because I have experienced what legalistic Christianity is in my life. I've experienced it. I've, I, I feel like I've had a mini-reformation in my life. 
You know, you can go back to Martin Luther, the, the great Protestant reformer. He was a Christian. He didn't come out of Judaism. He didn't come out of trying to follow the Old Testament law. But he began to do a very legalistic kind of Christianity. He became a monk, joined a religious order, really kind of following the life of Paul in a sense, uh, but as a Christian. But he really found that out of trying to follow all the rules to make God happy, to please God, to, to be a blessed person, he found he was just absolutely empty. And one day he came across some crazy words from Paul. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any of us should boast. And those words completely ruined Paul. I mean, completely ruined Martin Luther. He was never the same. He, he, after that, he writes the 99 Thesis. He's like, I, I'm never going back to that. Started a whole movement. And I've got to say in my own life, I've had a mini-reformation too. Not quite as dramatic as Martin Luther's, I don't think. You know, who knows? <laughs> but there's all kinds of legalism that slips into the church. I can say that anything that we do here on the weekend, from singing worship songs to giving our money to praying uh, to, to the spiritual disciplines, any, to just even showing up on a Sunday morning, any of that can be legalism. Any of that can be works-based righteousness. And works-based righteousness is basically you're just doing these things to get God's approval. You're trying to make God happy. You're trying to get God to bless you. If I do this, then God will do that. That's the old covenant. If you do this, if you, my people, follow all the rules, then I'm going to bless you. So what does this look like modern? I'm, I'm going to share a little story here. And I got a lot of pastor friends. They're like, dude, you can't share stories like that to your church. Um, it's dangerous. But I'm going to share this story with you, all right? So ho- hopefully, uh, hopefully it won't be too dangerous here. Uh, about 10 or 12 years ago, Dina and I, the, the first, as I mentioned, some of the first churches I went to as a, a new Christian, I got exposed to a lot of subtle legalism. Now, the people that were going to these churches had sincere hearts and were sincere Christ followers, and so was I. There's a lot of legalism that was snaking its way. It was Jesus plus. And one of the ways that I experienced that was when it came to giving. Now, we don't, we, we pretty much just kind of pass the, pass the offering basket around here and that's it. We don't really uh, do much other than that, say a little prayer. But a lot of the churches that I went to in my early years, man, you'd have a 15 to 20 minute message before you pass the offering. It was just the offering message on why you needed to give. And there was a scripture, and maybe you've heard this, but the churches I was a part of it at those early years, they would often pull out this scripture from Malachi 3, 8 through 12. Anybody ever heard that message before? Yeah. And I would hear this message probably at least eight or ten times a year. It would be the offertory message, the 20-minute message before the message. And this is God speaking to the children of Israel. He says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, How are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I've heard this message over and over again, and every time it was preached, I pulled my wallet out, tried to dig a little deeper. Maybe I'm not giving enough. The underlying 
idea in this message was if you give more money, you'll be more blessed. Or you don't want to be cursed, right? Who wants to be cursed? Man, I don't want to be cursed. Got enough problems. I don't want to be cursed. Maybe I'll give a little bit more money. And, and so you end up with this kind of superstitious idea, never quite knowing, am I giving enough? And then when you face financial hardship, which you're going to face, we all face it. When something breaks down and you don't have enough money to, oh, man, I, I must be under some kind of curse. Maybe I need to give a little bit more of the last bit of money that I have to the church so, so I'll be blessed. But I got to tell you, at one point, I actually started learning something about studying the Bible. But you know what we're doing here, going through the book of Philippians? We're trying to read the scriptures in context. So each week when we cover a verse, we talk about the previous verses. We may even talk about the verses coming up. We try to understand what, you know, the number one rule of studying the Bible is you got to figure out what did it mean to the original audience? What was the original context? What's the context of that scripture with other scriptures? What's the context of those scriptures and the whole story that God is telling? Once you figure that in, then you can figure, how do I apply this today? Well, I I began to look at that scripture and I was like, you know, I, I think what I see here is God was talking to his people based on his covenant with them and the terms of the covenant that you do this and I'll do this they were failing to meet their part of the covenant. It would be like Dina, you know, or, or a husband and wife. Let's well, use just a random husband and wife. <laughs> like saying, you cheated on me, right? You, you, you didn't live up to the mark of the covenant. And so we've got an issue here. Well, that's, that's what God's saying to the people. You are not living up to the terms of the covenant. Well, that's great. But that was the old covenant. <laughs> we're not under that. See, I began to realize that in Jesus, I'm not cursed. Hallelujah. In Jesus, I'm as blessed as I'm ever going to (laughs) be. In Jesus, in what Jesus has done, that's as good as it gets. I can't add anything to it. (laughs) And if I try to, I'm just taking away. I'm I'm beginning to live in slavery. So I, I, I heard this message with Dina for the probably hundredth time about 12 years ago. And I finally looked at her and said, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not, I'm not going to tithe anymore. This is why pastors tell me don't share this stuff. <laughs> it's like, you're crazy. It's not that we stopped giving. But I wasn't going to give trying to get God's blessing anymore. I wasn't going to give to try to not be cursed. I wasn't going to be a superstitious giver anymore. I wasn't going to try to work some formula. I, I, I wanted to step into the freedom of Jesus. Now, some people will say, oh, well, if you do that, if you say that kind of stuff in church, people are going to stop giving. Well, that hasn't been the case in my life. Really, the opposite happened. I told Dina that morning, I said, we're going to, we're going to quit doing this for a year. And we're not going to really quit giving, okay? Not wasn't trying to get out of giving. I think giving is a, it's a good part of being a Christian, right? But I, I said... We're not going to do this out of guilt and manipulation anymore. I'm tired of that. I'm not doing that. We're going to do this because Jesus is a giver and he's generous. And we're going to invite God into this process. So Dina and I, we had money we were setting aside each month for giving. And I, look, I think setting aside money for giving is good. I, I, you ever notice if you don't set aside money, you, just, you spend it? <laughs> so setting aside, I'm not, I'm not opposed to discipline. But understand... The discipline doesn't make you right with God. It doesn't get you favor with Him. 
So I looked at Nina. I said, we're, we're opting out. <laughs> She's like, what? <laughs> and she was scared to death. Oh, she was crying sometimes when we were coming to church. We're going to be cursed. We're cursed. And I, was, I, didn't, I was like, I don't think we're going to be cursed. I don't think we're cursed at all because we're going to live in the blessings of Jesus in the new covenant. And so we took a year off. Now, reality is most months we did just give our money to the church. But we just began to ask God, how should we spend this money? How can we give our money in a way that helps your kingdom expand on earth? How can we get involved with what you're doing? And so there was a mentally disabled guy in our college ministry who we found out he'd been living without electricity for a a week or so. And so we took care of that. We got his electricity back on, paid his back bills. We found another new couple that was struggling with finances, and we, we got them caught up on their bills. We found a, a, a single mom who didn't have diapers, and so we bought her a lot of diapers. We bought another family groceries. That's the life of the kingdom. All of a sudden, giving, it, it, it wasn't a burden. It wasn't just something we were trying to do. It, all of a sudden, we got to participate in the life of Jesus. I'm about to preach now. we got to participate in what God was doing. And the reality is at the end of the day, many months we were given way more than 10%. Many months we were given 20% of our income and we were poor college students. I mean, we didn't have, it's not like we had a whole lot of extra money, but we were just saying, God, how can we be the best stewards with what you've given us in a way that is, that participates in your new covenant, not just, Trying not to be cursed. (laughs) This is dangerous stuff. It was dangerous for Martin Luther. It was dangerous for Paul. You get free of that, it'll wreck your world. And I'm I'm ruined. I don't want to go back. I've experienced freedom and grace in Christ. I experienced that there's absolutely nothing I could do to earn the grace of God except just be crazy enough like Abraham to say, Really? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I receive it. See, the problem with legalism is that it it tends to narrow our focus to an egocentric form of Christianity. What I mean by that, we make Christianity, it's all about me. I hear a lot of people talk about the promises of Abraham, but they only focus on that first part. I'm going to bless you, Abraham. And like, yes, hallelujah. I get to be blessed like Abraham. Well, God didn't say I'm going to bless you just so you can be blessed, so you can have more stuff. I'm going to bless you so that I can bless through you. See, I think this is the heart of the prosperity gospel that has taken hold in in our country and really we've been exporting around the world is that it's just all about you and God, if you do this, then God's going to bless you. If you do this, God's going to bless you. If you do this, you won't be cursed. You're in and, and listen, I do believe in sowing and reaping. I believe, I believe in that. Okay. I believe if you sow into anything, if you sow into your marriage, you'll reap a better marriage. If you sow into your business, you'll reap a better business. If you sow into addiction, you'll become more addiction. Okay. I, I get it. You know, I believe that. But we tend to, when we get into legalism, we make it all about us. It's about me. 
And so how does your walk with God go? It's up and down. And I got to tell you, for years, that was my walk with God. Man, as long as I'm doing, as long as I'm serving in the church, as long as I'm giving, as long as I'm worshiping, as long as I'm reading my Bible five chapters a day and attending this Bible study and doing that, God loves me. But then when I blow it, which I quite often do, <laughs> then I better stay away from God. I would actually do that. I don't know if anybody's done that. I mean, you know, when I'd, I'd, I'd sin, I'd screw up. I'm like, oh, I better stay away from God for a few days. Let him, <laughs> let him cool off, you know. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I, it's, it's, looking back on it, I'm like, oh, my gosh. But it becomes egocentric. It's all about me, all about my performance, all about what I'm doing. The other thing is that we become tribal-centric as a people. Now, I want to show a familiar slide, uh, bounded set and center set. Okay, bounded set. We kind of covered this at our newcomers class last week, and I show this all the time because it's a, it's a great illustration. Back in Paul's day, you had people who were trying to make a bounded set. Circumcision, right? Um, following the Old Testament law, Sabbath-keeping, whatever. And you, you're either in or you're out. The only problem, what do we see with the Pharisees? They were a very bounded set, right? They were like, I mean, they, they were making this boundary. It's not just the Old Testament law. It's all of our hundreds of laws on top of that. And you've got to look this way, dress this way, talk this way. Uh, and then you can get in. But the problem is when you get in, tribal-centric, you start, man, we are the enlightened ones, right? That can't happen at North Shore Vineyard, though, right? <laughs> no, it can't. <laughs> See, it's tempting when, when you, you start seeing lives getting changed and people are showing up and, and it's fun to be. It's tempting to say, wow, man, that worship, that teaching at the North Shore Vineyard is so amazing, right? right. Amen. Right. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Dang. Uh, it, it, it's tempting to, to say that the way that we do church is just, it's just a little bit better than everybody else. We have a very relaxed atmosphere. We do, we do, we don't just serve community coffee. We do special fresh ground coffee from Guatemala. We have a sidewalk cafe. It's, it's, we're not stuffy and religious and traditional. And it's easy to be tribal centric where we start looking down on people who are outside our circle. But pretty soon this boundary becomes a wall between people actually encountering God. See, the Pharisees, the, the saddest thing is they, they majored so much on the boundary that it became a barrier. They had a nice little club, a nice little bless me club, but they weren't leading anybody to God. They were actually keeping people from God. When we get into legalism, when we major on this boundary, we become egocentric and we become tribal centric. We resist the purposes of God. The, the next slide is a centered set, right? See, in, in, in a new covenant understanding. See, what does Paul say in, in Galatians? He said, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave nor free. God has done away with all those boundaries that we major on. Now the issue is, are you moving towards Jesus? Is he the center? Because you can get inside the boundary and you can feel like, ah, I attended newcomer's class. I've been showing up. I've been faithfully tithing. I'm in the club. I feel good. Isn't it good to be in a club? And your heart can be moving away from Jesus. And before you know it, you, I mean, you could be in a church 30 years and your heart has left God a long time ago. But you're in the club. You got your membership papers. 
under this understanding, what we're doing as a church is really just trying to see what is Jesus doing in the life of believers? How is Jesus moving in your life? How can we adjust your arrow to head towards Jesus? But also the question keeps coming back to us is not am I in or out? Where am I moving? Am I still moving towards Jesus? Am I still heading towards him? Or am I getting distracted? Am I getting tied up in legalism? I got to tell you today, we, I think what Paul wrote back then, some 2,000 years ago almost, I think what he wrote back then is very relevant to us today. And, and maybe this is your first time to hear this. I hope you hear it. That, you know, under the Old Testament, they had, they had priests, they had all this system. But in, in, in our understanding, Jesus is our high priest. He's our offering. He's the one who leads the worship to the Father. When we worship, we're just participating in that. When we pray, we're just participating in the work of Christ. When we give, we are just participating in the work of Christ. There's absolutely no, nothing we can do to earn God's favor any more than that. That is the gospel. That's the good news. It's really good news. It, it, it's too good to be true. And that's why people fall back on legalism so much to think, oh, it, it, it can't be just this good. It can't be just believing in Jesus. I, I, we got to throw something on there. I mean, surely you got to wear a suit or a tie. Surely you got to. I, I got people in this church, and probably some of you, I got people that come up to me all the time. They miss church for a while. And the, Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry I've missed church so much lately. I'm like, dude, I don't care. I mean, I, I like, I mean, I care. I like you to be here, okay? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Another message I, I don't need to preach, right? But I, I understand. We, people go, I mean, coming to church doesn't get you any points with God. It's the overflow of our life. Giving our money doesn't give us any points with God. Only Jesus does. Only believing in him gets us any points with God. Anything else subtracts from that. Oh, man, I haven't been reading my Bible like I need to lately. A lot of people think, man, if I'm not reading this many chapters a day, then, then oh, God's, God's sad. Well, no, God's not sad. I mean, yeah, reading your Bible, it, it's a good thing, but that, that's the overflow of your life. It doesn't make you right with God. Praying doesn't make you right with God. Worship doesn't make you right. None of these things establish your righteousness before God. It's only being crazy enough to believe the good news that in Jesus, you are absolutely right with God. And that's it. And everything in us wants to fight against that. You know, I've been in church for a long time, and I've seen all kinds of legalism, whether it's prayer, whether it's, you know, a hipper, charismatic version of worship or a certain spiritual experience or, or the amount of money you give or the kinds of things you do. Any of that can turn into religious legalism, dead ritual. But if you want to join the adventure of following Jesus, man, let go of that junk. Give it up. If you're giving to this church because you're, you're trying not to be cursed, then stop. I don't want your money. If you're just serving at this church because you think it gets you points, then stop. I don't want to be a part of, of helping that. <laughs> That's a false gospel. 
The real gospel of Jesus is going to set you free. It will set you free. I promise. I could go on. I think I'll just shut up here. Let me read this last aspect that that Paul covers. Verse 3 of Philippians 3, he says, For it is we who are the circumcision, who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh. Paul is basically saying here, he says, look, there's a lot of people who are going to come among your midst and they're going to make it all about what you're doing on the outside, what kinds of works of righteousness you're doing. But he says, you know, we are the true people of the circumcision. It's an internal reality. And we, we, we do it not by outward actions, but by the Spirit of God. We get to participate in what Jesus has done, what he continues to do as we approach the Father. That's it. Let's pray. Lord, I pray right now by your spirit you would break any false religious idea that stands up against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You would break it by your spirit. Lord, that... You would free us to live in the reality of your grace, to be participators in your life, God. Lord, forgive us in places where we have have just looked to our own efforts, our own righteousness. Forgive us from that, God. We repent. We turn to you. We are just crazy enough to say yes to who you are and what you've done, Lord. We thank you, God, that we're not relying on the best we can do, but the best that you can do. And we thank you that you... Offer us the offer of becoming children of God, being a part of your family. And we just say yes, Lord. We say yes. God, help us to turn away from the slavery that so easily entangles us. Thank you, Lord, that you loved us before we ever did anything. Lord, we never deserved your love, but you loved us anyway. We've never deserved your grace, your truth, your freedom, but you just offer it, God. We receive it this morning. And it's in your name, by your spirit, that we pray. Amen. I have found a wonderful Savior who is freely blessing me forever. I am his. I am his. And he is mine. And he is mine. Lord, he's Ever walking beside me, he's my redeemer, he never denied me. I am his, and he is mine. Yes, Jesus is mine. I know it's true. I'm holding his hand on my way to heaven. Oh, I have found a wonderful Savior. Freely blessing me forever. I am his. I am his. And he is mine. And he is mine. All of my burdens now are behind me. Never more temptation to find me. I am his. I am his. And he is mine. Hallelujah. He is ever walking beside me. Trust and never, never deny me. I am his. I am his. And he is mine. And he is mine. Yes, Jesus is mine. I know it's true. I know it's true. I'm holding it a hand on my way to heaven.